Um, it's good to see you. Let me just tell you, this is your first time at Fathom. Welcome. Can we give it up for the folks first time today? Just give it up for them. We're glad you're here. I, I really hope that this just makes a connection with your heart. Uh, God's doing special things here. Just pray that this would be a place you could grow in your faith. Uh, we don't think that, that, that we all start this um, journey like way down the road. We think we all start this with, with just faith that may be real small, even like a, a little tiny seed. Uh, but Jesus said that kind of faith can even move mountains. And so I just want you to know that you're, you're safe here and this is a comfortable environment for you just to grow in your walk with Jesus and, and get to grow in family and community. And that, that's really um, the connection we want to make today. And so if you've been with us for the past few weeks, we've been going through a, a series called Go and really just engaging in our mission statement as we enter 2014, which is Matthew 28, 19, 20. Go make disciples. Go into all the world and make disciples. So we're really engaging that. And, and so today we're going to wrap up this first kind of word of our mission statement, go. Uh, because if you look through the, the New Testament, we see a bunch of times where, where Jesus says go and different words kind of fill in the blank. So go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Go and repent. Go and um, confess your sins to one another. Go confront sin with one another. I mean, you name it. He, he said it, go and sin no more. There's all times, all these kind of times where he said that. So the past few weeks we've been looking at, first of all, go and tell your story. Like uh, where uh, Jesus makes uh, this connection after he's actually risen from the dead. And he makes these connections um, uh, with, with some women and says, go and tell. Tell people that I'm alive. And so I think that's our kind of commission to go and tell people the story of what Jesus is doing in our life. And, and, then, and then last week we looked at, at Luke 10 that, that said, go and do likewise. The, kind of the story of the, um, uh, the, the Good Samaritan where, where Jesus says, look, if you really want to know what it means to have eternal life, just go and serve like I have. Go and be merciful like I am and, and be filled with love. Go live that life and, and serve. And so that's a part of who we are here. So today we're going we're gonna to wrap that up uh, with just, just the, the main mission statement, go and make. What does it look like to really go and make? And so we're going to dive deep, deep, deep today. And, and so I've got a, a lot of scripture. A lot of times I, I try to like, um, I, I'm really big on editing my messages. And so I kept looking at, at this message and be like, okay, God, what do you want me to, to edit out of here so that it won't be super long? <laughs> and and uh, as I just began to kind of pray over it, God was just like, you, you got to do it all. So what that means is I got to do it all fast. <laughs> so uh, just to, to make sure everybody stays with me and, and, st- and I'll start hearing stomachs growl. So um, we're going to be kind of going through a lot of text today, but I, I can just tell you it, it's kind of cracking me up. My son is uh, just getting ready to turn three, Beckett, our oldest, and, and um, it's just crazy how much he is like me and his mom. Um, not in just looks, which most of you that have seen him, you know, if you saw our baby pictures next to each other, it's just like identical. Like you couldn't tell except for the age of one picture what the difference was. Um, but, but he's so much a, 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 uh, like me that I'm really starting to get scared <laughs> about what's coming because I, I know how I was and, and I know how long it took me to snap out of some of those things. So I'm just like, and, and he's, just, he's just so funny. I mean, he's just so hilarious. The other day, um, me and my wife are just goofy around the house. Anybody else like goofy around the house? Like, you act ridiculous. Is that okay? Yeah, we do that around the house a lot. And so, like, if any music starts playing, I mean, we just, like, bust out dancing. I mean, that's just kind of like the 
try to, you know, make it just really fun in our home. And so, like, we'll just start dancing. So something came on the TV, and it was just, like, some music. And so Beckett's standing in front of us, and both me and Taryn in the back just start dancing to the music. And he can't even see us. He's, like, looking at the TV. But immediately, he just starts dancing, like, the, exactly like us. I'm like, where did you get that from? But it's just so cute. And so I see the influence I have on, on my, my kids, and, and that's kind of striking to, to just take that so seriously, the responsibility we have and impact we have. And then I've seen that before in a pastoral sense where, uh, you know, I've just noticed in ministry there will be times where kind of uh, meeting people at different parts in the journey and, and through my teaching over the course of time, I'll start hearing people repeat things that I taught them that I know when I met them, like that phrase would have never came out of their mouth. And, and then now that I hear almost like the same phrasing, I, I had that happen once and it just struck me like, dear God, like what I'm doing is so, so important. Like, and it just kind of strikes this responsibility and almost fearing you to be true and honest to the word and what God uh, says. And, and so I just see this responsibility in my own life. And you can probably do the same. Uh, we're going to be referring to uh, something that a sociologist kind of put three different places in our life in which we make connections with people and have influence. Three different places. The first place is in your home. You have the impact in your home. Unless you live alone, and then you probably just have an impact on your pets. So at home, in place one. But here's the good news. You have a ton of impact outside of the home. So not just your home would be place one. Place two would be where you work. That'd be the second place of impact and influence. And the third place would be everywhere else. So if you feel like you have more influence or impact in one or the other, there's this place in which we all connect with people at the grocery store, at the restaurant, in which we can have an influence on people's lives and really impact them in, in, in becoming closer to, to being disciples. And so this whole series is really just embodying the true course of our mission in Jesus, that the end of the journey for us is not to be a disciple, but it's to make disciples. The mission that Jesus sent with his disciples before um, he left was to go and make disciples. That was his, his last kind of commission, his last mission to them. So the end of the journey for us is not making disciple, or not being a disciple, but it's making a disciple. And those kind of happen at the same time. And so I, I want to kind of walk through the process for just a second on what it looks like to make disciples. So I, I, I've got, I told you I got a lot here, so we're just going to be speeding through. So First, let's look at the process. I think it's kind of three stages of the process. I think the first one, and they've got some, some notes to kind of help us follow. Stage one, I think, is attraction. I think this is what we see in John chapter 12. I think it's verse 35. And it said, look, if, if I'm lifted up, I'm going to draw all men to myself. And many of us think that if we make better, have better lights in church or if we have um, you know, different things going on, if we add the fog machines, that is what will attract people to Jesus. But what the scripture says is that if I'm lifted up, that's what really draws people. And the truth of the matter is that this is not the church, but in fact, we are the church. And so, and we're going to look at a scripture that talks about that. So if, if the first stage of, of, of really connecting people to making disciples is attraction, it's not attraction to you, but it's attraction to Jesus living inside of you. And, and so that's the first, and, and this is really a stage where they see humility in you. I think humility is such is so deep for me theologically. I mean, I, I, if I had to pick one word that sums up the gospel that, that's not Jesus, um, I, or what summed up Jesus, I would just say humility. And I think it speaks to what happens when we meet Jesus, is it's humbling. It's almost humiliating because we see the depth of our depravity and our sin. 
And then I also think that it's just the life of a believer is humility. And then transparency. I love how Paul said, he said, look, I I boast in my weakness. If I'm going to boast in anything, I'm going to boast in my weakness because then you can see Christ is made strong through me. And so this transparency and serving one another is the first part of the, the, uh, the first stage, which I think is attraction. People seeing Christ living in you. Most of us, you know, kind of have, can, can have issues, you know, with, with what this looks like. But look, God wants to use you in, in stage one. Um, stage two is, is trust. And this is kind of a long process at times. Sometimes it's very quick. Sometimes um, you, you come at a different place in, in someone's journey to have an impact on their life. But I think trust is one that was so big for us moving to the city because I, I, I realize, like some of you, you're here and, and like you don't even trust people in the church because um, you've been hurt before. You don't trust people who, in the church, period. You don't trust people like me because of your previous experiences, and I get that, and I'm not offended by that. Look, I, I get you have a story, and there's probably a real reason, but I, I, for us as believers, I want us to know that you have to, to walk through this process and be patient. Uh, I think one of the, the fruits of the Spirit is it, it, used as long-suffering. It's, you know, it, it's kind of fighting through the battle when it's difficult, um, and I, I think the one that has kind of changed the game for me when it comes to building trust, the, the stage of trust in which you're building trust. And, and so if I had to kind of say with attraction, I, I think there's, a, um, uh, th- there's something inspirational about your life that people want to know about. But I think in stage two is where you really begin to, to develop influence. And I think that's really keyed on the word respect. And this was big for me because most of us, if we said, hey, do you re- respect people? I'm like, of course I do. Of course I respect people. But the more I started thinking about that, I, I started thinking, um, that really this was all jacked up based on my expectations. And, and what I mean by that is, is that I have certain expectations that I want everybody else to live up to, and when they don't, I lose respect for them. But what I found about a lot of my expectations, that a lot of my expectations were just personal convictions. And they weren't really things that, that, that Jesus said to do. It was kind of either rules we added on, or it was things that kind of became legalistic. And I, and I found that I had all these kind of expectations for everybody to to live up to that honestly, when it came down to it, I probably wasn't living up to either, but I immediately lost respect for them. I had to think, man, I don't really respect, and I'm telling you, it literally transformed my life and how I just interacted with people when I I just found a whole other respect for people as them as humans. And and another thing that helped me in that was to see myself before I met Jesus. Because that's the that's the vision that God began to give me for everybody, you know, when I'm kind of having an issue or struggling just to respect or to love somebody. And I was like, dude, remember where you were before Jesus started impacting you. And and again, not to say I've obtained all these things as Paul did. But just to say that he's, he's come a long way in me. There's some people in this room that can testify he's done a lot in me, <laughs> um, even, if, even if you don't believe that. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's just seeing where I was before and, and knowing that if God can transform me, I know that he can do work in, in everyone else. And, and so this is a, a, a long process, but it takes unconditional love. So this entire process, let me just tell you this, this entire process, these three stages are, are just driven by love for Christ. They're, they're driven by obedience to Christ. This is what steers us and drives us in our life to, to, to do the mission that he's called us. And stage three uh, is truth. And this is the one that we all want to skip to. But there's some things that biblically uh, we live in, in a similar culture. I think if you look at the Corinthian church, we see 
a lot of the, the same culture. They were just people that were kind of given over to their sinful desires and whatever they wanted. We see Paul talking a lot about that. And, and some of you, we, we want to skip to the truth stage, but I, I'll tell you this. When I look out at, at our garden here, the guy who's leading our, our garden doesn't live in the city anymore, so if anybody wants to, to oversee and, and direct our garden, that would be super, because I have no idea what I'm doing with it. And so I go out there, and like, they're all like winter crops, and like some of the things have died, and, and you know, just because it's been so cold. But I, I keep looking, like, is it time to, to harvest? The thing about harvest is that you have to know what time you know, to pull, pull it. And so, and I look at it, and I don't know. I don't know when it's time to, to pull these things. I'm like, it looks good to me. Pull it up. And then I'd see that there's this much in there, and it's not going to be, it's not going to be substantive. It won't survive. It won't fill anybody. It won't make a difference in anybody's life. And so I think the same thing is when it comes to this. This truth stage is really when we begin to share biblical knowledge. After you've kind of just, people have seen it, you live it, they're going to be more responsive to you speaking it into their life. You hear what I'm saying? It, when they see Christ living in you, it's a lot easier for me to believe what you say because you're not constantly living in chaos. You have a sense of peace of God and wholeness that is the light that's shining through you and people want to know what that's about. So they're more willing to, to listen to what you have to say. And this is where we begin to understand what it means to really walk in the Spirit. When, when you know when is the season, God, in which I, I, I say that. God, when do you want me to share that? When is the time right? And, and, um, and just that relationship with the Spirit, you know, Paul put it, you know, um, keep, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Um, I, I always think of dancing, like when I talk about keeping in step with the Spirit, of just like being so close to, to God that we just are listening and we're so open to what he's saying. When he says, go here, go there, we're open to it. We're open to it and we're listening. And, and I think this whole thing has to be wrapped in love. So really quickly, that is the, the, I, would, I would say is the process of making disciples. I think it starts with attraction. It walks into a stage of just building trust with people. And so you can kind of begin to see this happen in, in, in place one, in place two, in place three, as God uses you to make disciples, you kind of see this process. And, and we can see that, hey, you, you know, where am I really at in, in myself to be able to make disciples? Because that is the, the final destination is making disciples, not just being a disciple. And so that's kind of the first kind of element of what I want to talk about today. I want to take a, a quick change, and everything's kind of moving quickly today. Um, so I apologize if you have trouble Kind of keeping up as fast as I'm talking, it, it, I'm having trouble too, <laughs> so it, it's okay. So I, what I want to deal with for just a second before we, we go into Acts chapter 8, um, verses 26 through 40, we're going to look at that here in a minute, but I want to look at, at um, some excuses that we often make for why we're not involved in making disciples, okay? So let's break these down, and let's, let's pray that we can erase the excuses that, that we often put up. So I think our first excuse has to do with our imperfection. And look, you're not the only one that wants to bring that up and say, I'm not ready yet. Because there's, the, the, the Bible is filled with people who said, I'm not ready yet. I'm not gifted in this area. I can't do this. There's tons of places we could spend the next year and a half talking about people in the Bible who said, look, I'm not ready yet. I mean, and, and you think about at that time, they, and they, some, God was using people like kids who were like 14 years old and like engaging in, in just leadership. Like they became king when they were like 14 years old. Like, like God, I, I can't even like, you know, make it through, a, you know, a day, you know, just survival by myself, let alone being king. And, and so we see all these examples where people said, I'm not ready yet. 
and, and I have to encourage you, uh, and, and what we see in, in First Thessalon- or Second Thessalonians 1, 3, uh, it says that, look, you don't have to have like it all together. Our faith grows. God gives us a portion of faith, and that, that faith grows over time. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. And, and so many of us use that as an excuse for not stepping out, is that I, I, I'm not ready for that. But we have to understand and a lot of us are, are, are looking for like big calls from God and like big, you know, God, send me to Africa, I'll go. You're waiting for that, that message to go to Africa and then you'll go. But on a daily basis, he tells you to just talk to somebody and you won't do it. You know what I mean? Faith grows and grows and, and so that works in our obedience. And, and I think we're fooling ourselves and we're really lying to ourselves and it's really an excuse when we think that we're going to respond to the great call that God's got for in his life but we're not obeying on a daily basis. We're not faithful in the little things. I think we've got to really grab a hold of that. I think this is a, a, a great one for, the, uh, for this whole idea of I'm not ready yet, is to understand that this process is a purification process. God is just working in us continually. I think 1 Corinthians 3, 7 through 9 says this great. Because we have to remember, you're not solely responsible. I think as parents, we do take on a responsibility to raise our children. But we have to understand that, that God is always working, and he's not, we have to get away from the God complex, like we talked last week, and, and, and God, to, to think that we're not, we're not somebody's savior. God is the one who, who is working on people's heart and is over this entire process. And, and 1 Corinthians 3 says this, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. Again, going back to the harvesting type stuff. But only God who makes things grow. It's God that's working on people's heart, and we're just a vessel to water or plant. The one who plants and the one who waters, we have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. You are God's building. This whole idea that let's go to church, it's like, like let's just go be the church. We are, are living as the church. You are God's field. You're his building. He, that means he's working on you. He's working through you on a daily basis. And, and I, I love that because it, it just, it unites us because so many times we look in our lives and, and we're like, okay, what did I really accomplish for Jesus? Well, you know, did, well, you probably planted a lot. You know, we, we're always looking at harvesting, but again, it's God who harvests. It's, it's his feel it's him that's drawing people to himself. And so I think we've got to, you know, change the way we keep score. I've used that phrase a lot in the past years. Change the way we keep score in that our job is obedience. Our job is faithfulness. And it's not all these other things. If God tells you to plant today, then plant. If there's a day that he has you harvest, then fantastic. That's what we all want. Um, so let's continue on. The second, the second one. So I'll just tell you for I'm not ready yet. Just be faithful with what you have. Just be faithful what you have. Um, you, you don't have to have it all together. It's a purifying process. It's a growth process. Um, it's, it's okay. Uh, you know, again, I, I referenced it earlier. Paul said, boast in that weakness. Um, just make Christ great through it. Just, just you know, or let him make you great through it. Um, so it's a, an amazing thing. The second excuse I think we use a lot is an incorrect identity. I, I think, I'm not a pastor. Like, like, this is some responsibility for the pastor and, and I, I hate to break it to you, but neither was Peter, um, neither was Matthew or Luke. None of the disciples were pastors, and God was sending them out. 
And so this idea that, oh, I'm, I'm not a pastor, I can't do this, or I'm not this, or I'm not that, I think we need to redefine our identity in Christ. Because I think that's what the, the church, I think why we don't have just the harvest that we could have here in the States is, is really, is that's kind of the theology that's kind of become present in the American church, is that it's now the responsibility of this one charismatic leader, but that's not really what Jesus put in place. He put 12 of them in place, and then he sent 70 of them. It wasn't about one man other than Christ. It wasn't about anybody else. It was about, you know, joining together in his work. It was co-work with his service. And so this whole idea, I'm not a pastor, we've got to redefine our identity. And I, I really think uh, that's found in 1 Peter. Look at 1 Peter 2.9 with me. But you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. He's kind of raising the bar that there used to be like a single priest who would, you would come and make sacrifices with. And, um, and that kind of understanding. He said, but you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. A holy nation. You're, you're unique and in my, in my image, you're God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light, that you're, you're chosen. Like, God wants to use you. I think the other passage that can be used here is, is in the same passage that we were looking at a minute ago, 1 Corinthians 3, but now skip down a little bit, verse 16. Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Just wrap your brain around that for a second. Because that's like big. Like, if I'm going to slow down in a part right here, just grab a hold of this. That God's spirit dwells inside of you. That you are, you are God's temple. And, and, and a lot of us like get on kicks. You know what I mean? We get on like these spiritual kicks, these physical kicks, these emotional kicks where we like get into one thing, we kind of leave it. But I think something that, that shouldn't be a kick is us understanding, understand that we're God's temple. And, and really, his holiness and desiring to be more like him is, is, is honoring the temple, you know? Is honoring the temple that God's given us because his spirit dwells inside of us and that's where attraction happens as they see God's spirit dwelling inside of you, the holiness of God. So, uh, you know, with the, with the first point, I think it was really just being faithful with what you have. I know you're not ready yet. None of us are. We never are. You think, you know, Peter was really, really ready to jump out of the boat, really ready. You think he was ready for that? No. I, some of you, uh, I know there's some folks in the house that are they're pregnant, and one of the things I know is people are always ask you, are you ready yet? Are you ready yet? Or, or, I know there's couples in here that just got married, and people are like, are you ready yet? You're like, I don't know, like, are you ever ready, like, for, to have a kid? I mean, like, I don't know, I didn't go through, like, a special class, and I didn't feel like I got enough books, and didn't learn enough stuff, but I don't think you're ever ready yet, but God is sending us out, and, and he's, he's called us into his spirit, into his presence, into his, his work with him, and it's such a beautiful thing, and, and to be chosen, it, you know, some of you, us, you know, maybe we have kind of thoughts, you know, back to when we were in elementary school and we didn't get chosen for whatever kickball team or we were in high school and we didn't get chosen for whatever play. But really, when you think about it, like, God, king of the universe, put stars in place, that, that one, he, he chose you. He could do it himself. But like his love for us to be in, and in, in not in some kind of religious exchange, but the relationship he desires with every single one of us, is awe-striking, I believe. 
and it draws us in to take it so seriously. And uh, so I think with the first thing, just be faithful with what you have. I think in the second one, just remind yourself of who you are in Christ. You have to constantly do that because there's so many voices that are just steering your identity in this world. Everyone at your work will drive you to be so driven by the, the almighty dollar. Everyone at home or everyone out there on TV, there's images in just who you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to look like from your physical identity. That's what you're supposed to spend your life making money doing. But God has the identity for you that you're chosen, that your spirit dwells inside of you. And so just, just keep reminding yourself of that. I think the third thing um, here that we need to grab a hold of is, is the idols, is the idols. I, I think the excuses, you know, start with, look, I, I'm not ready for that. I think the, the second one is, is, you know, and there's, I think there's more, there's a lot more. You know, the other one is, oh, I'm not a pastor. I can't, I can't do that. I can't make disciples. And the, the third one, I think, is just frankly, we put idols in place. We put idols and say, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. And I think more of us than want to admit it kind of live in this. Whether it's just, you just got to go home and rearrange your sock drawer, you know. It's the classic excuse. Like, oh, I got to do some stuff at home. Uh, how many times do we do that? I mean, honestly, when someone asks us, to go do something, we just immediately like make up an excuse. Is that lying? Because we're all pretty good at it. I mean, sorry, was that offensive? Yeah, it probably was, but we're all really good at it. We do that. I don't have time. Matthew 6, 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek him first. God's usually the last one we go to. We go, we go to, to you know, all of our friends, we'll read some magazines, we'll read books, and then after no one gives us anything that's really life-giving and inspiring, hey God, could you help me get out of this mess that I've gotten myself into by using everybody else's advice except for yours? <laughs> Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things will be added to you. I, I think the psalmist said it a little bit differently. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I think that's just kind of a new understanding what Jesus is giving out of that psalm. Delight yourself in the Lord. That means it comes out of love for Christ, of, of doing this, and all the things that we desire for our life is fulfilled when we put Christ first, when we, our relationship with him, not our religion that's based on Jesus, but your relationship that's you're drawn into by Jesus. I think that, in fact, is where we find fullness of life. That's where we understand purpose. And, and all our greatest dreams and desires are fulfilled when we put him first. When we, when we just delight ourselves in him. I love that word, just delight. It's just like so refreshing. I never use it. But when I, I, that's the only time I use it is when I'm talking about this verse. It's like, just to delight myself in Jesus. And that's so hard because I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, torn to make it religious where I feel like I could get the answer is that I'm, I'm torn to put it on the to-do list where I make sure it's efficient and it's effective but Jesus just wants to be in communion just where we love being with him and we just we just love this God that has chose us and allowed his spirit to dwell inside of us that is it's mind-blowing what, what's the thing people do is like it's it's mind-blowing to kind of understand that God wants to dwell with us. Okay, so let's move on to the story. I'm telling you, it, the ship is, is close to landing. I told you I had a lot. Uh, and, and so here's what I'll tell you with, with these three. is First, just don't, 
just be faithful what you have. Just, just be faithful what you have. That's, you know, don't say, oh, I can't do all this. Well, just be faithful. Just be obedient with the moments God's given you. You know, the second thing I, I think is, is just, you know, remind yourself who you are in Christ. Remind yourself that identity. I think the third one, because we all have constraints on time. We all have those constraints. I, I loved what Andy Stanley said one time, and, and he said, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone, because if we keep using that excuse, we'll never make a difference. Some of us look like the guy who's out at the, uh, there was this little boy, and it was a pastor that was telling this story, and uh, he was picking up all these seashells. You know, he's picking up all these little shells, and he had his hands full with all these little shells, and then he came up on this huge shell, and he looked at his dad, he's like, what am I going to do? I can't, like, pick that one up. Dad, can you help? And he, he, he just kind of like hit him for a minute. Like if I would just let go of all my little shells and pick up God's, God's big shell, that's the greatest desire. If we would just, just put first things first, that greatest desire, we could have a hold of that. But we want to put all these things in there. So I love what Andy Stanley said. He said, just do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Because we all have that and our margins are really short when it comes to time and finances. But do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Let's move quickly and I mean quickly, to Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40. It, and it plays this out for us really, really well. And, and it looks different. It looks different in this culture. The story is different from kind of the process that I just kind of looked at. Because that's really looking at our culture right now, the world we live in. But I, I think it, as we see this, it, it's, there's a lot going on here. So, so Luke is, is writing. And for those of you that don't know, Luke and, and the book of Acts are both written from Luke. And they're written to um, someone known as Most Excellent Theophilus. That's who he writes these letters to. uh, And these gospels to, just the life of Jesus. Most Excellent kind of uh, notates that there's someone of importance. Some official, someone that's really wealthy. Someone that has some kind of rule. There's really not been able to get our hands on who this really is. But it's someone that's that's some kind of important official or wealthy. So that's who he's writing these to. So I think we're going to find that interesting as we go, go right here. So now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road or go at noon. We're not sure what that's actually meaning. The desert road that goes down from Philip. Philip is a disciple and he's pastoring and he's leading people. And he's an evangelist reaching out. And he has some really, really kind of big, he's right in the middle of some bursting ministry in Jerusalem at the time. They're like, I mean, people are, like, getting saved. People are, like, following Jesus. They're seeing some incredible things in, in ministry. And God tells them to leave that and go to the desert road. Go, go to the wilderness. And that's tough when it's, it's tough to be obedient. When, when, when you, you leave what you thought was most important, what was really great, and then God tells you go down the wilderness road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to, to Jerusalem to worship. So he's a Jewish Ethiopian, okay? So let's, let's kind of paint this picture for, for just a second. Um, he's a high official, and if you see in Acts chapter um, 1, verse 8, you might have heard something like, go into all the world, they're kind of being sent out, go into all the world, you know, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. The uttermost parts of the world to the people, to Greeks and Romans, was Ethiopia. 
This, this is, it's like northern Sudan. This is the uttermost parts to the world of them. And they've kind of reached everywhere else. So by chapter 8 in the book of Acts, where they're doing ministry as Jesus commissioned them to do, by chapter 8, they're reaching that. And so the Ethiopians to them is they're like, like they're fulfilling the mission that, that God called them out to, 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 to do this. And so here's a guy, you know, remember the letter in the gospel is written to most excellent Theophilus, some important official. And here it's said to an important official. And so I, I just love how that is. Like if God can, if I'm most the excellent Theophilus, if I'm reading that, man, if God's using, if he's connecting with this guy you know, the uttermost parts of the world, and Jesus can do that in me. He's sharing the gospel through this. And he'd gone to worship. Okay, verse 28. And on his way uh, home, this guy was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. So he's reading. Let's continue. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. See, the, the invitation, I, I think this is what we, we look for in being a part of making disciples, of Jesus' work to make disciples, it is looking for, for when the garden's ready to be pulled. And you look for hearts that are hungry as they're they're looking into, I mean, I think this is like Philip's dream to find a guy that's actually, you know, tell me who this is. Do you understand? So he, he's, he's putting a difference between reading and understanding. He's like, how can I do this if someone doesn't help me? And, and so many of us just love to push it off to a, a pastor or somebody else. We love to push it off and say, oh, God will take care of it. But what if God's design for taking care of it was that you, the spirit dwelling inside of you, would actually get on the chariot with them? And help them read it. You don't have to have all the answers. Transparency says, I, I don't know the answer. Let's find it out, though, together. That's so attractive in, in, in our world, in our generation. And, and just being willing, being obedient to the Spirit. As he says, go up, just get close. Just get close. And, and I'm going to open that door for us. I'm going to open that door. And he's obedient each step of the time. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, like, who is this prophet talking about? Because Isaiah is writing, who's this prophet talking about, himself, or is he talking about someone else? And Philip began with that very passage of Scripture. He told them the good news about Jesus. He, he went to the desert road where he was probably like, God, I'm not even going to see anybody out here. God, I'm not. Man, I think, I think God wants us to experience what it means to go down the path that we never thought we would go down, to leave what we thought was the agenda for the day, and just to follow him and meet an important official that, again, man, as we were in Cambodia, um, you know, it's 90-whatever percent uh, Buddhist and, like, less than a percent Christian, and, and um, we're there to share the gospel, connecting with a nonprofit, so they're all Christians, but they don't really, um, you know, can't put that out in front, or, or they'll get shut down and won't be allowed to, to do ministry of serving people and building schools and orphanages and you name it. 
Um, and so one night we're, we're sitting at, at dinner and um, here's the governor of Phnom Penh, the capital, the governor who oversees all these other things in the Cambodian government. And, and, and one of the people on our trip is just there sharing Jesus to the governor's wife. And she's just hungry. She's just soaking it up. I mean, I mean, that's an important official. That's an, one of the most important ladies in the country of Cambodia. Um, and so just this idea that God can use one person to do an incredible work. And so he told them the good news. He, he Go and tell, you know, going back to that. So verse 36, we're about to wrap it up. Guys, if you guys will um, join me. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me my being baptized. See, just the hunger to take the next step of obedience. When we try to put everything first and we're not walking with the Spirit, we're not keeping step with the Spirit, we're just trying to force our message, and it's not because our, our life has attracted them. They've seen the Spirit of God living inside of us. People don't ask questions like this. They just find, where is the exit? Get out of my face. But when people see it living inside of you, they're, they're digging in. God's doing work. It's his harvest field, so it's all about walking in obedience. Verse 37. And he gave the orders to stop the chariot. Then Philip and the eunuch went down uh, into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. You're not going to be in everybody's life forever. But more and more on this particular journey for Taryn and I, we've seen that God just has seasons of just weaving us together for really beautiful times of ministry and transformation, I think is really incredible. And I, and I think we see that. The Spirit would just take him off. Phil, that was why you needed to come down here. That one guy. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe Philip just really needed that. He just was bogged down by the kind of chaos. And like, what's this supposed to look like? And he just, he needed to go on this desert journey and, and meet this one guy that would maybe impact the uttermost parts of the world, a community that you'll never impact, but that this guy will. In verse 40 is the, the last one here. Philip, however, appeared at uh, Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all towns until he reached Caesarea. And God wants to use us. God wants to use us. It's time that we just eradicate, erase all the excuses just know that God's going to build our faith as we step out, as we're obedient. He's going to put a person that says, hey, will you come sit with me? Just help me. Are we just, are we even open, that open? Are we even, are we even listening? But it's a process that God wants us to be involved in. One of us are going to plant one day and the other one's going to be harvesting. And don't look at that person and say, I wish I could do that. Just be faithful what you have. Just proclaim the identity Christ has given you and do for one what you wish you could do for everybody. God wants to use you. His spirit dwells inside of you. You're, you're a chosen, chosen people. A royal priesthood. So just to close today, I, I, I want us to do something a, a little bit different. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through these three excuses and uh, I kind of want us to go and confess. Um, and how we're going to do that today is just as I, as I read the excuse, if that's, that's your main excuse, you may be using all three of them. You're just you not know, just using one excuse. You try to switch it up each time. You're smart like that. But as I read these excuses, if that's you, I just want you to boldly stand and, um, 
and then we're going to have a couple other steps to what God's doing right now. So if, if your greatest excuse is, I don't have time, I just want you to stand with me. That's one of my most common ones. You're not alone in this room. Just remember that. If your most common excuse is, I'm not a pastor yet, I'm not, I don't have this, I'm not that. If that's your most common excuse, stand up. If you think it's everybody else's job except for yours. If your most common excuse is, I'm, I'm not ready yet, I want you to stand with me. God, break down our excuses and fill them with the boldness of your spirit, the truth of your love, God, the, the identity that you've given us as a chosen people. God, to be used in the incredible work with you, God, that you are you haven't left us alone. Go into all the world. Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them what I've taught you. And I'm with you, baptizing them in the name of the Holy Spirit. And I'm with you to the very end of the age. God, use us in this mission. Use us. I know right now across this place, there's, um, I, I want to ask you to just think of the one, the one that God would use you for. Maybe it's in place one. Maybe it's at home. Maybe it's mom or dad or brother or sister. Maybe it's in place two at work. You know, Susie, who you have coffee break with every day. Maybe it's in place three, that restaurant you can't get enough of, and it's that same waitress. Maybe it's in place three. Maybe it's the girl at the checkout. I want you to just think of the one that God's just, just piercing on your heart right now. If you don't get it right now, that's fine. But if you get a name and God, you just know that person that God's telling you to reach out to, I want you to write it down somewhere, remember it somehow, put that thing on your phone, and just do for the one what you wish you could do for everybody. Know that God's going to use you. If you don't and God's just telling you, just, just walk with me, keep in step with me, that's okay. But God wants to use us. I'm going to pray over us today and they're going to lead us in worship. God, I thank you for your love that would choose us and raise our identity from our brokenness to your wholeness. God, from our desperation and purposelessness to calling in you. God, I just pray that we would just tear up our excuses of, of time and identity and imperfection, God, and just, just truly put you at the forefront. We drop all the shells, God, to just pick up the one big, great shell of this life that will, everything else will be added to us, God. All our desires will be fulfilled as we just pick up the shell. Help us to exchange those things today, God. In Christ's name, let's worship together.